of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with Matt Schultz of LendingTree, MattSchultz.com. Matt, talk about your background for people who are not familiar with your work. Yeah, my title currently is Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree. And basically, my, my job at LendingTree is to kind of be personal finance expert and keep an eye on the news and comment on what's going on with consumer debt and credit scoring and all all those sorts of things and my my background is a little bit different from others who who do similar things to what I do I'm not an economist I didn't work in a bank I'm I'm a former journalist who worked in newsrooms for many years but I also spent several years working in personal finance companies before lending tree and I'm also somebody who had $10,000 in credit card debt in my 20s. I know what it's like to be drowning in debt for sure. So yeah, we were just talking with Lacey Hunt. He was talking about how consumer debt's on the rise. What are you seeing this holiday season? Things getting worse or better with consumer debt? Well, it's there, there's no question that consumer debt is is super high and Every year, Lending Tree does some polling about holiday debt in particular. And this year, we saw that about the same percentage of people said that they had uh, debt after the holidays, but the average debt was actually the lowest it's been in several years. And that's obviously a good thing on an individual level because, you know, less debt is better. But it's interesting from a kind of a broader view because I think it drives home the idea that people are still feeling less confident about themselves in the face of inflation because confident people are okay with taking on a little bit more debt, even if they have to pay it off in a couple of months because they're not that worried about making the payments or getting hit with a little bit of interest. But if you are feeling kind of shaky, you're not sure about your job, just generally kind of insecure financially, then you're going to pull back and every dollar matters. So you're a little less likely to take on debt. So I think that's some of what we saw this holiday. So it could be a macroeconomic indicator that we have some, uh, maybe a recession coming if people aren't into spending that much money. Uh, the recession is always a hard thing to know, but I do think that things may get a little bit worse before they get better, simply for all of the economic headwinds that we've been facing for the last couple of years. And then you factor in that student loan payments restarted a little bit ago. 
And that is creating an extra burden as well. And also the fact that interest rates are sky high. And even though inflation has peaked, it hasn't vanished for sure. So I would suspect that that things would get a little bit worse for consumers before they start to get better. So holiday debt is down 34%. This London Tree article says from 2022, lowest since 2017. What about just regular credit card debt? What numbers are seen on that front? Regular credit card debt is the highest it's ever been. It it went over a trillion dollars for the first time earlier this year. And it's, it's just a huge number, but it was also basically inevitable because the default state of the American consumer basically is to have credit card debt is the only time since the Fed started tracking back in either the 60s or 70s that we've seen a significant decline in credit card debt at any particular point was during times of real economic catastrophe. So the the Great Recession and the, the onset of the pandemic. So once we kind of recovered from the pandemic and the worst days were in the rearview mirror, that hockey stick growth just started up again with credit card debt. And there's there's no reason to think that it's going to fall off anytime soon. Now, how do high credit card interest rates impact consumers who are already struggling with holiday debt? And also, like your kind of work saying that we're in a higher credit card, seems like I guess more people are using credit cards to pay for their basic necessities, like food, clothing, they're just not doing it on holiday spending. I mean, that, that that to me seems like some type of recession indicator, but not sure. Well, it's it's certainly not a positive thing. And we've we've definitely seen stats over the last year or so that have shown more people turning towards credit cards and even things like buy now, pay later loans to pay for their necessities. And that's a troubling thing, but it's also... You, you can't have inflation rise this fast for this long and interest rates rise for this fast for this long without expecting to run into that issue. And it's tough for a lot of people and interest rates rising only makes it more difficult because it makes that balance more expensive to pay off. And even though a lot of the speculation is that the Fed's going to start cutting rates later on in 2024, it's not going to happen tomorrow. So I think that people's best move is to act as if things are going to be this way, high interest rates and such, for the next little while and expect things to get a little tighter and a little tougher before it turns. No, fantastic. If you're just joining us, I'm Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with Matt Schultz. Also coming up in about an hour off David Ranson. So we're having a dream team today for a Christmas and New Year's season of gifts. Lacey Hunt, then Matt Schultz, then David Ranson. Uh, have you done any work on whether the inflation, you know, some people are saying kind of we're going to have disinflation, we're, we're going to have rate cutting, three to four rate cuts. Then there's this other theory that the Fed's going to start cutting rates next year. They're going to do one or two rate cuts. Then we're going to see, you know what? Inflation is persistent and it's here for longer than we realize. So then it'll create some type of hard landing scenario. Have you have you done, I know you're really a personal finance credit card expert. Have you done any work on that? 
No, it, it's tough because it's such an inexact science, right? And there's 7 million different variables that go into it. If it was just a matter of the Fed raising rates, then it would be a whole lot easier to kind of turn that corner. But corporate pricing is not just about interest rates. There's, there's a lot more that goes into it too. And when you consider that 2024 is an election year and all of the things that circle that and how that can create some volatility in things uh, later on this year, it just, it, it makes everything a lot harder to predict and a lot harder to kind of know even more than, <laughs> even more than usual. But again, I, I think people's best move is to plan for the worst. And if the, if the best materializes, then, then all is good. So talk about a lot of people bought stuff and they have buyer's remorse. I know my, my wife, the first year she feels, I don't know, sad about what we got our kids. It's kind of dumb. I'm like, honey, <laughs> let's take it all back. They're ungrateful. Some people want people to have these magical times, uh, loving their gifts. I think a lot of it is just the kids have been struggling with colds and things like that. But explain the phenomenon of buyer's remorse. Many debtors experience buyer's remorse. And how can they manage this feeling? Well, it's a natural thing to want to spend and be generous to your family and friends. And that is what drives a lot of spending around the holidays and, and a lot of overspending. But it is also something that can make people remorseful and make people wish that they hadn't done it. Because as good as it can feel to be generous, it doesn't feel too great going into debt. And as much as there is pressure externally or from friends or from your spouse or partner or your kids, the overriding thing that people need to understand is that your family and friends probably don't want you to go into debt <laughs> to get them a present. And we don't necessarily take a step back like that very often when it comes to holiday gift giving, but it is something that, that people need to, to understand that, uh, that your family taking on debt has a whole lot of implications that are worse than a little bit of awkwardness for maybe getting a smaller gift than, uh, than what somebody wanted. Yeah. I mean, so many marriages end due to financial difficulties, bankruptcies. Sure. And most of the stuff, if you're honest, wound up in a garage sale in a year or two anyway, <laughs> or, or on the curb or broken. And I don't know how many times we buy our kids the same skateboard and then it, you know, ends up in the driveway crushed and broken. Uh, we have a question from Gnostic. Go ahead, Gnostic. Uh, so Mike, I have a sort of double-barred question. Are you seeing a difference between the high credit and high credit rating and low credit rating people? And is it the lower credit people that are in fact going further into credit debt or the higher credit people or both? Well, currently how it typically goes when economic times are tough is that folks in the lower end of the credit spectrum tend to struggle more. And that's that's kind of what we've seen a lot of. But it is important for people to understand 
that it's not just low-income, low-credit folks who struggle with credit card debt or who rack up credit card debt. And in fact, a lot of times, the biggest credit card debt is held by folks with a lot of money. And it may seem kind of strange, but the truth is that in order to run up big amounts of credit card debt, you have to be able to have access to a lot of credit. And if you have low income, low credit score, your credit limit's going to be pretty low too. And there's only so much damage that you can do. Whereas if you have a bigger income, stronger credit score for many, many years, you've been able to kind of write your own number down in some ways when it comes to credit limits. So there's no question that people on both ends of the economic spectrum are running up credit card debt and and always have. Now, good question. So on this whole issue of buyer's remorse, do you you have any like tips? I mean, my my tip, I tell my wife, if kids don't play with the toys, return them. They won't really miss it. They'll just magically go, oh, where did that go? Hmm. You know, but no, if what, what I mean is if they're not playing with something and they don't really like it, return it. You know, a lot of companies have generous return policies for holiday shopping. Some have cracked down on that. So you got to be careful. Yeah, I think that there's always going to be a certain amount of risk for buyer's remorse. And some of that's a good thing, right? Because we as parents want our kids to try different things and see what they like. And, you know, everybody's garage is filled with with things that the kid was super into for a little while and then never, never got into again. But I do think that one of the things that you can do and one of the lessons that's important to learn for kids starting at a pretty early age is whose money it is matters. And if you have your kid on an allowance or they do chores and get paid here and there, and they're able to spend their money on their own things and invariably buy something that they thought was going to be awesome but turned out to not be and learn the value of the dollar that way, I think that that can be a helpful thing when it comes to the holiday season because they've done it themselves when the risk is kind of low, there's only so much that they're going to lose, but it's something that can help them going forward because they're learning that value of that dollar. Oh, fantastic. We're with Matt Schultz talking about consumer debt, credit cards, and we're talking about rewards, credit card rewards, what credit cards you use to pay for your trips, vacations, all of those things. That's the thing. I mean, you talk about credit card rewards and points and cards. Is there a bit of hypocrisy? You know, I think I'm on your side of the camp. So I love to rack up credit card points, use them for vacations. I just bought a brand new couch off credit card points. I want to get on a whole segment of how how do you manipulate credit card points to your advantage? But first, kind of how do you address people say, you know, it's kind of hypocritical, you credit card experts, You're against debt, but then you're promoting these cards that screw people in the end because then they lose their job and they have all this debt. They can't pay them off. You know, do you want to comment on that a little bit? 
Well, for, for one thing, I'll start with saying that anybody who tells you that a credit card is not a risky, risky thing is not being above board with you. A credit card can be an incredibly useful thing. It can help you extend your budget. It can help you avoid getting into a whole lot of trouble if you run into a really difficult financial patch. And I'm fortunate enough after having $10,000 of credit card debt when I was younger to have leveraged points and miles uh, for travel to a few different places around the world and have, have handled it well. But the truth also is that a credit card can be a very, very dangerous tool if not used wisely. So the thing that I always tell people is regardless of how lucrative those rewards are, regardless of how you may see in social media people taking advantage of the points to fly all over the world into beaches and that sort of thing, if you're not comfortable using them or you don't want to use them or you have philosophical issues or whatever the issue might be, with credit cards, don't use them. It's okay. And I think that that is something that isn't necessarily said enough. And I also think the other thing that isn't probably said enough is that managing credit card rewards can be really challenging. I know people who have literally dozens of credit cards and who manage it well and all that sort of stuff. But it's not for everybody. And the more credit cards you have, the easier it is to miss a payment. And if you miss that payment, it can damage your credit, which costs you more money down the line. So long story short, I don't, I'm not 100% sure if this is entirely answering your question. But really, what it comes down to is if you're not comfortable with yourself managing a credit card, managing rewards, and that sort of thing. There are other tools that you can use. So talk about rewards programs, and we're going to give tips with people on debt, high debt, all that debt reduction. We're going to talk about that later, but credit card rewards programs. What do you like? Which ones do you like? Which ones do you not like? They all have their pluses and minuses, and some of it depends on what you want to do and your loyalty to various brands. Me personally, I have tended to use Chase credit cards over the years in terms of points and that sort of thing. But I've recommended many, many other types of cards as well. And it really is about kind of what you want to do. Like if you are somebody who is loyal to a specific hotel brand or airline, you should seriously consider looking at their specific credit card. But if you're somebody who just looks for the best bargain and the best deal and wants to be kind of airline and hotel agnostic, then cards like the, the Chase Sapphire or the Capital One Venture or other cards like that are worth considering. But the truth is that most people don't want to work that hard for their credit card rewards. And for a lot of people, their best move is getting a card like City Double Cash or Wells Fargo Active Cash 
or some of the other ones out there that give you 2% cash back on everything that you buy, regardless of where you buy it. So that way you know that you're getting a good return and you don't necessarily have to overthink it. So it, again, it really is about how you use the card and what you're trying to get from it and how hard you want to work to get those rewards as to what the best one is for you. I, I give my whole primer on points. You're a lot of these points guys or the points person or this guy or that. And they're always pushing certain ones, generally in the MX ecosystem. And that works great if you're a single guy or you're married with one spouse, but having seven kids, it's it's nearly impossible to make sure those Amex points work out. I mean, I think I've only successfully done it once where I bought nine tickets for all of us. Wow. Uh, I achieved defeat, but that was after being on the phone for hours. And I finally booked a nice flight on Amex. So that was good. But then when you have to move it, then you call United or whatever to move your flight. And they say, oh, we can't move you because you didn't book that through us. But Amex is good. I mean, you got the gold card, you get triple points, quadruple points and different spends if you own a business. I like that one. I like Capital One double miles because you don't have to mess around with the points. You just call them and they erase the charge. Although then some people will, you know, manipulate uh, the Amex so you get four to one. So I think for most people, you can really only learn one or two cards well. You know, for me, I, I get Capital One for kind of like my everyday stuff. I like Amex for certain categories of spend. But but to me, the best points is, are the ones you're going to use because if you have 5 million points and you die and your wife doesn't know you have them, you know, you, you've just, you know, lost the whole thing. So any other and, tips? And it is, sorry, and it is important for people to understand that points generally are a depreciating asset. The best time to have used those points was five years ago. And the second best time is right now, is you know, to kind of borrow an old phrase. But it's it's not about hoarding them. It's about kind of using them and getting the biggest bang out of your buck while you can. I mean, there you, you don't want to just spend them on nothing. Or you don't want to spend them on things that don't give you a decent return, but you also don't want to hang on to them either. So it's it's important that people act. Any other comments on the whole points game? Things you didn't know, well, things you wish you knew. Things yeah, it's it's funny. You mentioned <laughs> I I only have I only have one kid, but as a parent. It's really difficult, especially as a parent of a school-age kid. One of the things that we've struggled with, and we have a bunch of points that we've earned over the years, is that if you can only travel during peak time, during spring break and summer and winter break and all that sort of stuff, the truth is you're just not going to get the bang for your buck rewards point-wise that someone does if they're an empty nester or if they're young and don't have kids and that sort of thing. So it it really is important, as fun as it is to watch a lot of folks 
show exactly how lucrative and how amazing points can be, it really is important to understand that a lot of what you can do with points and how to maximize them is really dependent on your life and your lifestyle and your availability to do these things. Yeah, that's why I like the Capital One because you just say, hey, this is a travel expense and they erase the charge. And so you can buy peak holiday times, times when kids are off from school. Yeah, that's that's a good point because people don't often give that thought. I mean, that that was the thing with, with Amex. It, it was just difficult to sometimes get, you know, eight or nine seats in a row. And, you know, one time we did it and yeah. they literally gave us nine seats, but they were in nine different rows. Oh, wow. And I had to like beg people, oh, you know, do you want to sit by my two-year-old, you know? And then we yeah. cut deals. And then sometimes they would go, no, I don't want to switch with you. And and you'd realize, you know, some people are nice about it and some people aren't. They're like, hey, I paid for this ticket. Screw you. I don't care about your kid. It's amazing. And, and most of the times the airlines, they do try to help you. But sometimes they're rough. I mean, especially now that they have these... I never get those really cheap airfares. What is there, like economy? And then there's like base economy. Yeah. Because if you do base economy and you go to the ticket agent and you say, oh, can you put me with my kid? They'll go, no, you chose base. I've heard them tell a woman with her like 13-month-old child, hey, you're out of luck. But if you pay just a little bit more, they'll usually try to fit you with your kid. Yeah. Well, and the tough thing is that a little bit more for one person is one thing, but a little bit more for each person when you're talking about yeah, plus the fees. five, six, seven people is real money, right? Yeah. So it's a big deal. Exactly. So as we kind of move on to what are your top tips for using credit cards effectively without falling into debt? Well, the biggest thing is to be planful and thoughtful about what you're purchasing. Because what drives so many people into credit card debt is impulse buys and generally just kind of not really thinking a ton about what they're buying. And one of the best ways to avoid that is one of the simplest things, which is just having a budget. Because it's really hard to avoid debt or to get yourself out of debt if you don't have a good feel for exactly how much money is coming in and going out of your household in a given month. And with that, if you end up spending too much in a given month, you can move some money around. So that's, that's an important thing. And the other thing that I always tell people is about the best way to break the cycle of debt that people find themselves in is to pay down your credit card debt and build your emergency savings at the same time. And it's obviously easier said than done when people are on a tight budget, living paycheck to paycheck and all that. And, and it also means that you're going to take a little longer to pay down that debt and you'll pay a little bit more in interest. But the benefit is that when that credit card balance is down to zero, if you have some money in that emergency savings, that next flat tire or the next surprise trip to the vet 
isn't going to have to go on your credit card and send you right back into debt. So those are two things that are simple conceptually, but not that easy to always do. Yeah, but how do you get people to do a budget? I was trying to tell my wife, hey, let's set a budget for Christmas. She didn't really, she didn't really want to do that. And I do this for a living. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's not easy. And a lot of people find them really confining. And, and some of it is about how it's viewed. If you make it to where it is a means to an end, where you are saying, if we come up with this budget and we watch our money a little bit more, we will be able to save more. And in a year or two, will have this amazing thing, whether it's an emergency fund, mortgage down payment, a little more in your retirement, or a trip to Paris, or whatever whatever your goal might be, that can be something that can help. And, and really, again, it is kind of about starting with the end in mind, because if you're just kind of doing it because you feel obligated to do it and you don't see it as working towards something, it would be easy to fall off the wagon. Yeah, I also think if you're like that too, don't budget. So one of the things we do is we just save a certain percentage of our income no matter what and then spend whatever's left. That way, if you're saving 20% of your pay, 20% of your income every year religiously, if you're spending the other 80, well, you do that for 20 years, you'll be a financial success. Yeah, there, there is something to be said for that by, you know, the old paying yourself first thing um, and, and starting from there. And the more you can automate these things so you are not the one who is having to take the action to write the check or to transfer the money in the app or whatever the case might be, the better off you'll be and the less of a slog it'll feel. But yeah, there's there's plenty of different methods for, for budgeting, and it really is kind of about finding which one works for you best. We're going to go to other f- personal finance tips in a couple minutes because you're also a personal finance expert. What, what I want to talk about real quick is something that's happened to me and to others is, you know how credit card purchases are supposed to be insured? I'm finding that more and more that fraud protection is irrelevant. Like I've had two cases where let's just say uh, we purchased something for $5,000 and then the delivery wasn't met. So the, the vendor did not deliver the goods. And then we challenge it with the credit card company. They issue the challenge to give us the credit back. There's whole Facebook groups on this of hundreds of people. There are even particular scammers that were out there scamming people. And because the scammer knows how to combat the challenge, you know, these vendors that say, oh, they got your back, they really don't have your back. And I've only done three credit card challenges my entire life, three in 20 years. And all three have ultimately been denied. You know, people say, oh, I'm going to use a credit card because it's insured. I think it's bogus. And I don't know if you can shed light on that because it, it seems like they don't really care, you know. Follow-up question for you is, you you mentioned that one of them was $5,000. Were the other ones similar amounts? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, two or five grand. Well, one was maybe five grand. One was 10 grand. Uh, okay. 
on flooring that wasn't delivered. And then the other was like something I want to say it was like 3,500 bucks and something. And yeah. And I don't know if it was because it was business purchases, but, but more and more vendors are actually committing fraud on that. And then when you say it's fraudulent, if, if you know somebody who knows what to say, they got you cornered. So I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough thing. I, I'm sorry that uh, that you're facing that. I, I certainly don't doubt that that happens. And I also would imagine that the bigger the number involved in terms of the dollars, the more pushback there's going to be. Because it's one thing if you know your $25 book that you ordered from Amazon never arrives. That's that's a rounding yeah. error on a rounding error. But if you're talking about several thousand dollars, honestly, wouldn't surprise me that there may be more pushback with that. And it's it's tough. I mean, I think that a lot of times these fraud protections are still valuable and they do still work. So I don't know that I would paint them all in too negative of, of a brush. Oh, I but would. I also don't doubt there are certainly cases out there where it doesn't go particularly smoothly. Yeah, I don't put any stock in those at all. Having uh, sent invoices, non-product delivered, it, it just doesn't matter. If it's over a certain dollar amount, they fight it no matter what. Um, or they blamed Visa. Yeah, I, I think it's a fraudulent thing that the credit card companies do. So let's move on to personal finance issues. They're kind of near and dear to your heart. Where would you start out with people talking about personal finance? Well, I, I think, again, it really is about doing what is best for you, your financial situation, and your goals. And I think a lot of times the best place to start is a budget and it's not the sexiest thing it's not the most fun thing to do but it's a way for you to kind of see where you are and have an understanding of what your personal financial situation is and it also allows you to have a little bit of flexibility move some money around in case you end up in a short-term financial crunch, medical emergency, job loss, whatever. I, I really do think that for a lot of people, that is where it all should start. Then after the budget, what are some common pitfalls investors should avoid? I think that the other thing that people need to make sure that they have, and again, like we've said, it's easier said than done, emergency savings is just absolutely essential. And you hear a lot of talk, like rules of thumb, about three months or six months of expenses being saved. And a lot of people can get intimidated by those numbers because they're like, man, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make it paycheck to paycheck. How on earth am I gonna have six months of expenses saved? And they just never start. But the truth is that any bit of savings that you can have is better than not having any because it gives you a little bit of cushion to help yourself and your family in case things go really wrong. And as bad as the last couple of years have been for credit card debtors because of interest rates, it's been pretty darn good for savers now that high-yield savings accounts are giving you 5% or more in some cases 
back, it can help that little bit of money you have in that emergency fund grow a little bit faster than you might expect. And once the Fed starts cutting rates, whenever that is, these big returns aren't going to last forever. And you certainly may be able to get better returns in investing in mutual funds and other such things like that. But there is absolutely positively value in having that very liquid emergency fund, even if it's only a few hundred dollars to to help you feel a little bit better about where you are financially. So how should one's financial planning change as they approach big events like buying a house or starting a family? Any tips for people as they focus through transition? And then we'll go to retirement planning tips. Yeah, it's hard because it really is kind of about talking through what your goals are and making sure that you and your your partner and your family are on the same page as far as what you're working towards and what that next stage in life looks like and i i've a 17 year old so it's been a, it's been a little bit since i uh, was a new parent but among the many 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 things that that you can't fully understand until you are in it about parenting is just how expensive it is. But the more you can talk with others who have been through these things, people who might be able to give you some guidance, and the more you can plan financially to and put some money away, whether that's, again, emergency savings, 529s, whatever the case might be, the better off you'll be. And so one of the really basic things around all of this is just to not be afraid to ask for help and guidance from those who you trust and those who have been through what you're going through. Yeah, 529s in light of, uh, I believe, January 24, you're going to be allowed to Roth up to 35000 You want to talk about that? A lot of people don't realize that was part of one of the bills that was passed last few years. Yeah, yeah. One of the issues with 529s, and it's frankly, it's one of those where it might be a good problem because it means that you had too much more in it than you needed. But one of the things that you will be able to do with any excess money that you had in that 529 is to be able to use it kind of in uh, drips and drops over the years in a Roth IRA. And I believe the number was was thirty five thousand, some something in that ballpark, where the the amount that you can take out of that five twenty nine for for those purposes, and that's it's a significant thing because if you're talking about giving it to a kid or something like that, and having that amount of money grow over that amount of the possible years that kid might have it, it's a, it's a significant thing. Yeah, no, it's 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 a nice benefit. How should one's financial planning change as they approach retirement? Yeah, it's tough. So much of it is about, again, kind of setting your goals and understanding what you want to do in retirement. I mean, there's there's of course the the fact that the limited amount of time you have for your money to grow means that you probably ought to be a little more 
conservative with it going forward. But it's still about kind of figuring out your own situation and whether you'll have help, whether you'll end up having to take care of your elderly parents, whether you're still going to be helping your kid pay off their college debt, whether you want to travel, all of those sorts of things. So that really factors into where you put your money, how you invest it, how you spend, where you want to live. All those sorts of things are are certainly worth considering when you go into retirement. And for, for many people, the idea of retiring at all is a thing of the past. And instead of retiring to the golf course, like my dad and a lot of A lot of folks older than me have, it may be a situation where retirement just looks like maybe you're working a little bit less, maybe you're picking your spots a little bit more, but maybe you don't have that full free ride in your golden years. So how can individuals protect themselves? A lot of people worried about inflation, ravages of inflation. Market has had a nice run the last few months, but they're worried about the market. Maybe uh, the run will be over next year some predicting even as early as, you know, February. How do people protect themselves and their finances against inflation and market volatility at this time? One of the best things that you can do to protect yourself against inflation is to plan for it. Because so many people, again, we're going back to the the budget idea, but if you haven't looked at your budget in the last six to nine months, a lot of the assumptions that you made at that time have probably been blown out of the water by inflation, even though inflation has peaked and isn't growing quite as crazy as it was. So, I mean, the the best thing that you can do is understand that inflation is here and it is something that you're going to have to deal with. And maybe it requires a little bit of sacrifices as far as what you want to accomplish, whether that's building emergency savings, whether it's investing more retirement that sort of thing. But to the degree that you can be planful and thoughtful and work towards specific goals as it relates to your money, it'll help you kind of overcome some of the the burden that inflation is putting on people. You're writing a new book, or I guess you finished it, due out in March of 2024 called Ask Questions save money, make more, how to take control of your financial life. Maybe we'll have a whole interview on the book uh, when it launches. Cool. But you talk about kind of asking and you get these benefits and you you give fill-in-the-blank scripts for readers to use to get better rates, better discounts. Can you share a few sample scripts for people to yeah. get some yeah, uh, absolutely. discounts? The idea for the book came from the fact that in my in my job at LendingTree, doing interviews like this over the last few years, I can't tell you the amount of times that I have mentioned the fact that 76% of people who ask for a lower interest rate on their credit card in the past year got one, and the average reduction was about six percentage points, which is really, really significant. And so many times when I do that, I got a reaction of, oh, wow, that's... I I had no idea. Why don't more people talk about that? And there's a lot more like that around credit cards and then around other things in life. 
And the truth is that a lot of people get intimidated by negotiating, standing up for themselves, that sort of thing. But the the truth is that you have more power over businesses than you think you do. And part of why you have that power is that businesses tend to make more money if you stick around. So with something like a like a late fee on a credit card, it's maybe $40. And if the bank waives that $40 late fee for you, you're all happy, you're feeling good, you've been treated well by that bank, and you're going to stick around and keep that card. And that $40 to a credit card mega issuer is a grain of sand on the beach. And so the more you kind of internalize that idea, whether you're dealing with credit card issuers, your gym, or a hundred other different places, the, the more empowered you tend to feel. So the book is a collection of scripts, data, success stories, around credit and debt, mortgages, healthcare, which is a whole thing, but also more kind of experiential things like like talking with your elderly parents about their finances or splitting the bill at a group dinner. A lot of it is about asking the right questions in the right moment to help you kind of get what you need. Yeah, I mean, just asking the question, hey, is that the best you can do? Sometimes yeah. gets you better deals than anything from blinds. We had to, we had to buy all these blinds. It was like ten thousand dollars worth of blinds from, wow, you know, for a commercial building. And it's like you get quotes fifteen thousand, eleven that you know, and then by pitting one off against another, and then just asking is that the best you could do? Hey, you could save instead of spending fifteen, you only pay ten. You know, so there's a lot, especially now. And I don't know if it's because we're going into a recession, but it, a year or two ago. COVID-induced, I think a lot of vendors, the price was the price because their their costs of goods went higher. Now people tend to have a glut of product. And I I think the purchaser has won out. I mean, I I made reference to Tesla Plaid used to go for 140 grand. You know what the Tesla Plaid's going for now? Mm -mm. Like 86,000. Oh, wow. There was like a, a massive reduction in the Plaid. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. I mean, you know, obviously I don't I don't really want to spend 140 grand for a car, but uh just just as an indication of the consumer, you know, you, you have the power right now with your words. So your book emphasizes the power of sort of ask and you shall receive. Any other things that we should be asking for that we're not getting? Well, one of the really good things about the book, and I I did over 100 interviews just kind of talking to a bunch of people about it. Who did you interview? Regular people? Experts? What? Regular people, podcasters, all sorts of people, just to kind of get a bunch of different views. And in part because even though I talk personal finance stuff all the time, I veered off into some areas that I'm not necessarily expert in. So I leaned on a lot of people who know a lot more than I do to help kind of tell the story. But one of the really cool things that I uncovered is that the truth is that a lot of times the higher price the item, 
the more wiggle room there is. You're not necessarily going to get a, a deal if you ask for a break at the grocery store, but if you are at an appliance store or a local mom and pop furniture store, you certainly might be able to negotiate. So ultimately, even though, yeah, you can get pushback sometimes and it may be awkward or irritating to ask too much, the truth is that by and large, it generally doesn't hurt to ask. And the goal of the book is really to help people feel more comfortable in those situations to where they can help themselves whether, again, it's getting a late fee waived, whether you're trying to save on a refrigerator or you're, you're negotiating a job promotion, all of these things are really about taking the time to make a phone call or have a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, and you'd be surprised at what you can do. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt Schultz. Folks, you can go to his website, mattschultz.com, M-A-T-T. S C H U L Z dot com. And anything else you'd like to share with the listeners in the last 30 seconds, Matt? Go. Really, again, the theme of my book you have more power over your money than you realize. And a lot of times it's just about knowing how to wield it and being brave enough to make that phone call and stand up for yourself. Sometimes you're only saving a few bucks, sometimes you're making more. But the more you do it, the easier it gets, and those savings can add up. So it's it's oftentimes worth making that call. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt Schultz. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. <laughs>